Hello and welcome everyone to VoIP for Independent Telecoms, the podcast for local service providers who want to offer great services on a resilient network. I'm your host, Andrew Ward from Award Consulting, and I'm joined today by Mark Suto from Tolly Digital. Welcome, Mark. Thank you, Andrew. It's a pleasure to have you with us today, and I'm looking forward to chatting because we both it feels like we both serve the exact same clients, small, often rural ILEX, but from different angles. And you know, in our case at Award Consulting, we're focused on you know technical services, helping people with technical problems. Whereas at Tolly, you're focused more on products, you know, infrastructure services, but it's definitely focused on the same community. So I'd love to talk about that. But before we do that, I'd love to start at the beginning. And I saw that Tolly recently celebrated 25 years, a 25th birthday. So if we wind the tape back, I'd love to hear a little bit about how Tolly got started. Okay. Yeah, we got started. We're actually a family business. And my father had spent a career in telecom with AT&T, MCI, obviously now Verizon. And he'd done a lot of work with that over the years. One day, he actually switched jobs and went to work at a rural telephone company in Islay up in the Northeast. And while he was there, he got them started on selling their own white-labeled long-distance services. Because at that time, back around 1995 and, and before, pretty much all the long-distance services were just being handed to AT&T you know, to, to take over and run from there. Sure. So they weren't making any money off of that. So they came up with the idea to let's have, let's have a separate revenue stream and let's do our own white label long distance. And then what he decided to do when he left there, which is kind of funny because he was actually in his sixties, I believe when we first started this back in 1995, but he decided to spin it off and just start his own business. Kind of like, like you did, you know, mm -hmm. consulting and helping people start their own white labeled long distance as an extra revenue stream. And then it just took off from, from there. And again, just like you, it was all focused on the rural telephone or ILEC market for the small entrepreneurial, you know, rural telephones. And as you know, you know, there's hundreds of them. At that time, there was probably over a thousand of them. And now it may have been trimmed back to closer to like 700 or something, but still hundreds of them out there. I think a lot of people don't realize that. Yeah, no, so absolutely. that's how it got started. But, yeah. I, I was certainly very surprised to discover how how big the market is. From your perspective, from you know, why did you or why do you you know focus on that market? What's you know what's special about it? What's different about that market versus others? Well, you know, it's funny. Sometimes you just fall into it because my father starting it that way and starting to work with them. But then, as you get to know the people and the environments that you're working in, quite honestly, it was just a really nice environment to work in. The people are great. I, it's hard to say. Why, why not expand outside of that? Number one, I think there was plenty of opportunity within that niche, and they were great people, and it was a great niche to be in, and we just kind of stuck with it. And there wasn't a lot of people. You know, When we looked at trying to help out the rural telephone companies, there wasn't a lot of people doing that. There was a few more involved, I'll say, back in 95 when we first started, mm -hmm. and they all tended to get um, gobbled up by much larger companies. So they're just really, I think today, really, when you look at it, we're probably the only company left that's focused strictly on them for what we do, like the voice services primarily. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I think it seems from just my time in the industry, which is, which is shorter than the 25 years, that it's common for vendors to sell to that market, but then they decide, oh, we can make more money if we then go to the tier ones as well. And so right. sometimes the market gets left behind a little bit and abandoned um, as vendors you know, look to bigger fish. Yeah. I mean, people want to make money, right? It's business. So they tend to move to other areas. I, I think when you look back on it, yeah, I don't think we were trying to 
do, we weren't trying to become an AT&T or trying to get, you know, rich. We just, we really liked the market. It was, a, it took really good care of our family. And again, I can't say enough. We just really enjoy working with the people that happen to be in that market. So. No, I, I fully agree. And I think our mo- my motivation is very similar. You know, I say to our team, you know, that we're unashamedly a lifestyle business. Like we, we want to do business and to do it well, but we also want it to be pleasant. And this is a yeah. market where that's very much possible. And, you know, as you say, good people to work with, a lot of trust. And that's uh, really important. Yes. Yep. Right. Very so, relationship oriented. Exactly. Yes. Relationships. I, I agree. That's what it's all about. So you started out, oh, possibly before your time, but you started out, you know, doing um, long distance, white labeling and so on. How did you build from there? What, what did Tolly do next? And how did, how did that journey begin uh, to expand? Well, you know, we always, and, and I'll credit my brother mostly for this, but we created a culture really around, number one, focusing on our customers. What, what do they need? And just trying to probe and find out what is it that'll help them? And so we stayed focused on that. And as we did, we just kind of grew with them. So just as an example, when you look at voice services, you know, they basically were offering TDM services, primarily switchless TDM services initially, some dedicated, but we were offering all that at the time. And as everybody knows, you know, you fast forward a little bit and things start to change, you know, IP comes into play and all of a sudden people want, you also start seeing access reforms start to creep in. And next thing you know, people are looking for lower cost solutions because the old switch solutions, they're not getting paid back on the originating access like they used to. So it makes it harder and they want to cut their costs. So next thing you know, we're involved in SIP trunking, for example. Well, then push comes to shove. You fast forward a little bit. Again, we're just trying to watch what they need and keep up with them. And there's some other things we did along the way. We tinkered with some you know, data connections for them with certain people and things like that. But then next thing you know, we're getting coming up and not only are we doing SIP termination, but people are starting to ask for VoIP services because they started to grow outside and do more C-lecking outside their original ILEC footprint. Mm-hmm. And with that, they said, you know what? I'm not really situated to offer voice services out there. So I need a little help. So we went out and this was probably at least 10 years ago or probably more now. We went out and came up with a VoIP solution so that they could offer voice over IP services kind of over the top, mm-hmm. over the internet services that they were starting to build out. And of course, we're watching all this because let's face it, now things are, have gone through quite a change. Our traditional telephone companies, you know, back in 96, well, way back when, you know, obviously the FCC says, hey, everybody needs phone service. And that prompts the growth of all these rural telephone companies. Well, then, you know, fast forward and say around 96, they start saying, well, you know, really we need to focus on voice data and video services, not just voice services for everybody. Everybody has good, high quality. So anyway, as all that's transitioning, our customer base is transitioning, you know, from a traditional telephone company into more of a broadband provider. So we started to adjust our services accordingly and make those voice services more catered to them being more of a broadband provider. And a lot of them, as you know, work with say meta switches. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them can do their own voice. So then we we created the voice service and they came to us and said, but I don't need the whole VoIP service in my case because I'm going to use my meta switch, but I don't have DIDs. And again, the world had changed. So initially when they went outside their territory, it was with C-lecking and it was with inter-exchange, interconnections with other carriers around them that mm-hmm. were traditionally TDM. 
they were also traditionally expensive and a hassle because most right. of those people were like, they're trying to connect to AT&T. AT&T isn't, you know, it's like, ah, yeah, okay, I guess we'll do it. And they're not that easy to work with. So gradually as IP started coming into play, it offered kind of a different type of CLEC solution for them where they didn't have the hassles of the interconnection agreements and they could just go straight to saying, okay, maybe I'm going to use my meta switch, but I still need DIDs. And I still right. need phone numbers because I can't use my, my local phone numbers. So we kind of sliced off the front end of our VoIP service and said, okay, we can do that. We'll just give you the front end of the VoIP service and give you the DIDs. So the point of it all is we just kept kind of adjusting our services to meet their needs. They started getting hit with fraud at one point. You know, fraud became really big in telecom. I mean, it probably always has been to a degree because it's an organized crime business, you know, but, <laughs> but we, so we came up with solutions on the back end of our call termination for the old traditional termination services we were doing for long distance, we came up with some solutions just to help stem their risk of getting hit with fraud. So it was just us always just watching what they needed, talking to them and our relationship with them. And they'd say, we need this. We'd go back and create that, which brought us to some creative things that we're doing now too. But I'll, we'll wait. We can probably talk about that later. But it's just been following them through their journey of trying to transition, keep their business going and providing whatever they needed at the time to do that. Cool. That seems like a great way, a great way to pro to approach it is just to focus on the client and see where they see where they lead you. I'm curious whether you, despite that good client focused approach, whether you had any missteps, surprises, flops along the way, things that seemed like they were going to be sure things, but then when it came to it, ended up kind of whimpering out a bit. Let's see. Let me think about that. So what might? Well, I would say data. I think we at one point tried to get bigger into since they were going to have to provide data all, to all their customers, seeing if we could help them find better data solutions to connect to the outside world. So you got this old model of connecting them to the outside world for long distance services. Why can't we just make that work for data as well? Sure. But uh, unfortunately, we found that was just so ridiculously competitive. I mean, you had people going out there just constantly lowering the price of those services. And at the same time, some of our customer base said, yeah, I can't afford all that. And they would go out and find workaround. Like maybe they'd go through their next door neighbor to get to somebody to mm -hmm. get the lower price, you know? So it was kind of something that we had hoped might've picked up traction similar to the long distance business, but it never really worked out because it was just too competitive and too much of a commodity, the way the pricing kept coming down on it. Mm -hmm. So that one never really took off for us. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. That's a, an interesting thing to learn. Beware of, well, remember that your value comes from, you know, the specialist knowledge that you have and the specialist network that you have and beware yeah. of getting into, to, I guess, too big a market where there's too much competition, too many uh, commodity um, options. Yeah. Yeah. You, you mentioned kind of looking to the future as you use this same mindset of listening to your customers and doing what they need, you know, caring about what they care about. What do your clients care about now? What are they excited about? What are they worried about? What's the next couple of years going to store as far as you can tell? Yeah, it's funny. I'll talk about one main thing that we're focused on because we have so many discussions with people about it. So you've got what I mentioned before. They're transitioning from traditional telephone companies into broadband companies. Most of these companies we've been working with for almost as long as we've been in business. So they also have teams of people and technical people as well that are either retiring or getting ready to retire, you know, so they're going to lose a lot of their human resources that have kept all this running. 
but at the same time, it's transitioning. As you know, the soft switches are very different to manage than the old traditional switches. It's a whole different mentality. You're almost more of a database person than you are the old traditional switch telecom switch person. So we started looking at how can we help them going forward? Because a lot of them, at, and while this was all going on, you also had support mechanisms, FCC support mechanisms through NECA and stuff that were fading on the, on the telecommunication side. Now they might be increasing to help them on the broadband side in some ways, but on the telecommunication side, they were definitely going away. And as they did, I have a lot of discussions with people today that say, you know, my last switch that I bought was bought with the support mechanism monies mm -hmm. that I get. But my next switch that I need to buy, I don't have those same support mechanisms to pay for it. So it comes out of my pocket. So now I got to figure out how do I make that cost effective because I'm not getting all, again, all the access support, all the different support mechanisms that kept my small. Because I mean, think about it. These are the small, as you know, these are rural telephone companies. They don't have the density of New York City, you know, to make money off of. They're they're in an area where they're very sprawling and cover huge amounts of territory. I think you know the numbers better than me, but you know, it's some silly thing like they may cover 80% of the landmass, but they only make up 20% of the customer base, you know. So it's one sure. of those kind of things. Yep. So they're struggling right now. We talk a lot about where am I going to take this? The voice services, you know. And so we've been working on something we're hoping to roll out. And we're we're going to actually do it with a couple of people first, but we're hoping to roll it out to everybody the beginning of the year, where we would actually use our VoIP services, but in a more extreme way, where we would actually offer them a managed service to take over their voice services at their location. We would put a device. Well, and the reason we got to do it at their location, instead of them buying a switch, we'll put a switch there for them and talk to the, you know, our bigger platform. But this allows them to maintain what support mechanisms they do have left through NECA and meet all the requirements for that, but not have to make the huge capital investment in a new voice switch going forward. But there's even more, as you know, too, I mean, the bigger part of that too, money's a lot. Money's a huge factor in that. But also the human resource factor plays a big role in that. It's harder to find the people you need to run those switches. Mm -hmm. And they don't have, at a lot of these um, companies, it's not like they have dozens of these people around doing this job. I mean, they're not that big. So, you know, you're limited on what you can have your human resources do for the yeah. company, you know, and it's a whole different skill set. The only good thing about that is the newer folks coming out of, of college, for example, today are probably lean, probably more toward the newer soft switch mentality, but still you got to find them and you, you got to spend money on that human resource. And is that where you want to put your focus? It's kind of a big question mark. And I've had a lot of conversations over the past year about that. So that's why we started developing a, a little different twist on the voice over IP cloud solution specifically for them yeah so yeah and from the human resources point of view it's hard you know oftentimes you end up with one person who's the true expert on the system just because you can't justify having two on your team but then mm -hmm. you, you're single threaded you've got the risk that, that one person goes on vacation or you know gets a new job and then you're in trouble so. well that's where you guys come in right too i mean with what you've been doing is you're right they don't have they can't support it themselves and at the same time, sometimes the switch manufacturers they may be working with aren't always able to provide the level of support they need. And hence, you know, it's a great opportunity for you and your folks. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. We, we fit in that gap between, you know, the support a vendor does, which is 
of their product, you know, is it working right versus what right. somebody needs in terms of actually working on it and maintaining it. And yeah, and you, I think your approach of switching to a kind of a managed voice service is interesting. And I'd, I'd like to dig into that a little bit more, maybe starting out slightly bigger picture. So certainly I think the idea of a managed voice service is you know, not unique you know, to you. From a right. technology point of view, there are plenty of folks who are saying, well, this is the time to move to the cloud. We'll put a switch in the cloud. It'll all be voice over IP. We can, it can be managed, you know, whatever business model you want to use, but this is the time for VoIP. This is the time for cloud services. But there's a tension between that technical desire to move towards that future architecture and things like NECA that you talked about. And for our listeners who you know, may not understand all of that, how that all uh, you know, comes together, could you expand a bit on that problem, on that tension, on you know, what the regulations are that mean that you have to have something physically in your location? What, what are the issues there? Yeah. So though they have lost a lot of their support mechanisms, they still also gain a lot of revenue through those support mechanisms and NECA and the FCC. And it gets super complicated. I mean, I'm never going to try and take a job explaining (laughs) to people what they should do with NECA because it can get very complicated. But to, to oversimplify it, when you talk to NECA and others about what's required if you're going to go to the cloud. So yeah, if you're a CLEC, it's great, right? You go to the cloud, it's cheaper, it's simpler, no upfront capital expense, piece of cake, makes the most sense in the world. But now I'm an ILEC. I'm a traditional telephone company. I have certain requirements, such as the the NECA requirement that says, Mark, you can't take intralata calls outside the LATA to a cloud switch and then bring them back in the LATA to terminate them. You need Mm -hmm. to keep intralata calls within the LATA. So you have that constraint, which is a very big one when you think about it. I mean, that just pretty much you just knocked out the cloud solution unless you can do something locally mm-hmm. that can manage the call routing. So now, you know, you got to look at, well, what are my options for that? And there's really not a lot of options that can do the call management the way you want to. So that's a big one. There's also things like typically with a traditional phone company, let's say I lose my connection to the outside world. In the old world, it was long distance that people were talking about. So if I lose my long distance connection, that's okay. I can still complete local calls and I'm required to still be able to complete local calls. But now I'm going to VoIP. So now I lose my connection to the internet outside my company. I still need to be able to complete local calls. And there are, there are devices and tools to be able to do that still, but these are the complications you run into that do not make it clean to be able to just simply transition to a pure cloud solution because that cloud's not going to be, generally speaking, with few exceptions, in your ladder, you know, mm-hmm. or local to you where you can maintain local connectivity. So you got a, some challenges like that that make it a lot more difficult for them to go to a just simply move to a cloud solution as an ILEC. Mm. Interesting. And the and when you talk about the support they get, so Part of this is, so I understand there's the uh, like terminating carrier compensation, right? So calls coming sure. into you um, and you get some of the money from the carriers for terminating their calls for them. Are there other uh-huh. aspects to the NECA compensation? And is it the same like countrywide? Or does it vary by state? Like- it can vary by state. So I'm not going to try and go into all the details because <laughs> it enough. can vary. But they used to get a lot of money too from originating calls and going out over other networks. They could gain originating access as well and the terminating. But all that stuff's just fading to nothing now. 
but there are other things that they get some other types of access for as well. But again, that can vary by state and they're still getting it, but I'm not going to claim to be a NECA expert and try and dig into all that. So fair enough, fair enough. Okay. So do you think this situation, well, how long do you think this situation persists? Because you've already described that the, you know, the, the support revenue is declining and has declined significantly already, yet it's still enough that people you know don't want to just mm-hmm. abandon it altogether. Oh yeah, yeah. Is there a point in the future, whether it's you know 2025, 2030, 2050, where this goes away entirely and this problem you know stops existing just because the revenues dried up? Well, yeah, there will be eventually. I think the the answer that nobody knows is when, because right. it's always one of these political items, you know, that have to be discussed, and you know, how much are we going to cut back and how fast on those revenues. You know, what point do they go away? I don't think anybody has an answer for that yet. Same with the NECA, the issue of not being able to go to the cloud, something as simple as intralatic calls. Why mm-hmm. not take them out and bring them back? What's the point these days? That doesn't make sense. But yet there's some still some traditional rules and regulations in there that may take time to change. You know, when they do, great. It opens up a lot more freedom for them and can lower their costs. But as of right now, they're still constrained with those limitations and probably will be for the next three to five years, you know, it, but it's hard to sell. I'm guessing because yeah. I don't know what the right answer is, but uh, I don't see it changing, you know, instantly. Yeah. So the, so the possible things that can happen in the future are just that the, you know, the level of support declines to a point where nobody cares about trying to maintain it, or possibly sure. there are rule changes, you know, at a state or federal level, which mean that you can still get the support, even with a cloud-based solution, but mm-hmm. neither of those things are likely to happen quickly. No, and, and actually, there, the way the NECA works, too, there's a lot of people that it amazes me sometimes how many different variations there, there are on it. So I, I do have some companies that have come to me and said, you know, the NECA support's not big enough. I'm just going to go straight to the cloud with you for my mm-hmm. voice services. But the vast majority are still getting enough revenue from that that it's not an option to give it up you know, yeah. at yeah. this stage. And so as a result of all of that, the approach you're taking is saying, okay, let's, let's do the business model change where you switch from a big capital expense to a kind of ongoing operating expense for voice services. But from a technical architecture point of view, in order to maintain the NECA you know, compensation, et cetera, we still need something physically in the network. But rather mm-hmm. than you buying that from us as a, as a big purchase, instead, it's something that we own, that we put in your network to, uh, so that you've got a local... Uh, a local switch, basically. Yeah. And down the road, when all this changes, maybe you will and maybe you won't, you know, decide to just shift it all back up into the cloud, you know? Yep. yep. Okay. All right. That makes sense. So one other thing I just wanted to to ask about taking things even bigger picture, as we, you know, you've been in the voice industry for, you know, for a few decades and, you know, Tolly has and award consulting is, is much newer in this, but we're kind of trusting that voice is still going to be around for a while as a, as a subset of the market and as something that's important for people. What do you see as you look into the future? You know, obviously, residential voice services is gradually declining and being replaced by, you know, by wireless. Business is still present, but we have all these over-the-top things like Zoom, which we're using to record this podcast. Um, yeah. How do you see the next couple of decades um, for voice? Should, should I be quitting this job and you know, doing some other business because this is a doomed <laughs> failure? What do you think? <laughs> well, I think what's good for both you and I is that change happens very slowly in this industry. You know, 
We have a, a partner we work with that well over a decade ago, might even been 20 years ago, went into their own long distance business and they started selling long distance and they stopped doing it over a decade ago. But they still had, I think when I talked to them one day, they still had like 15,000 people sitting on their long distance network and just, you know, no interest in changing. And yet this is a, you know, 10, 15 years later, and they're not even in the business anymore, but they're not going to turn them off. You know, they're just going to let them run. And so the point of that is change happens slowly in this industry. When we put voice over IP services in a telephone company's territory and provide the, the voice, voice over IP, quite honestly, it's going to be connected to an old analog phone that they're still using. I mean, I used to love the little Panasonic cordless phones in my house. You know, I had the base unit. I had all the cordless phones scat- scattered throughout the house. Well, they're still doing that. You know, it's not, it's not changing quickly. So I think in that sense, we're safe. But I also think that because a lot of this is very rural too, I did a presentation where I talked about the decline of the landlines and the increase in the mobile phones. And I do have customers, if I look at their, their bases, they are impacted by that, especially the closer they are to a metropolitan area that has good cellular coverage. But then I have a lot of customers where they just don't have good cellular coverage. So I was talking to one, geez, it was only a couple of weeks ago, I think at a conference where I was talking to somebody and I made that comment about the decline in the landlines and they go, yeah, that might be true for everybody else, but we're still a hundred percent. I'm like, you know, it, so it really varies by where they are in the country and, and what's available in those areas. I'm in Florida, I'm in Southeast Florida. And if you go into central Florida where basically Lumen or formerly CenturyLink, mm-hmm. you know, has coverage there, their landlines are the only service available there. There's not to, to pro or con any mobile service, but years ago when I was using, I won't even say names, I switched from one service to the other because there was only one service that I could drive a clock across Florida and still maintain enough coverage to make a phone call during the whole drive. Mm-hmm. But if I went a little further south or north, that wouldn't necessarily be true, but nobody else covered that central Florida area. So there's still a lot of areas that do not have coverage. I mean, I know I see all these things about, you know, 5G coming up and all that. And I do think those are game changers, but not quickly. They take well, a not long in rural time. areas necessarily because 5G Correct. is all about Correct. short distance, you know, high bandwidth right. stuff. So, so you know, it's, it's going to take a long time. So I think we're going to have jobs for a while yet. <laughs> That's good to know. That's good to know. I did have somebody say to me recently that there's value in being the last man standing in a dying industry. And I, I don't think the industry is dying or that either of us are the last man standing, but in broad but, terms. But still, it makes a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it makes a good point. Yeah. Yep. Somebody's got to service that until it stops and it's not stopping anytime soon for you and I. So, yep. I won't share too much, but yeah, at, at Metaswitch, they had some business unit that was serving some kind of mainframe protocol that we used by banks since the 19, early 1980s or something. And it was still going, still making money, mm-hmm. very little work involved, like you said, with the guy with the long distance service, but it was still very right. important to you know some big clients. And so it, it kept going and kept going and kept going. So, All right. Well, Mark, I want to thank you for your time today. And um, this has been very helpful, I'm sure, for our audience. Before we wrap, is there anything else you know, you'd like to mention that we haven't already covered or any way you'd like to send people if they want more information about Tolu Services? Well, they can always go to, you know, www.tolydigital.net um, and go to our website. But most of them know we're pretty available at conferences and we, we make ourselves present so that we can speak with them. Because again, like I said early on, it's about relationships. But, 
yeah, if they're not familiar with us and haven't seen us at those conferences, by all means, they can go check out our website. They'll see a lot of the different services that we offer and they can uh, reach out and talk to us. So Wonderful. Thank you. All right. Well, if anyone wants to learn more about Tully, I will uh, put that link um, on the podcast webpage. And if you are listening and you've enjoyed this discussion, then please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify or whatever. And then please join us again for the next episode of VoIP for Independent Telecoms. Thank you very much.